0: 6 p.m. Book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpresscom with amex Terms apply.
2: Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like in the parking lot at your kids' Pee Wee Championship game.
4: The
5: volume. College football fans, the championship is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook is making sure you can throw down on the epic showdown for a shot at big bucks. New customers can score 150 instantly in bonus bets for betting $5 on the championship game. That's right, Michigan against Washington. Two great head coaches, two great quarterbacks. I could watch. 50 games featuring Michael Penix Jr. That guy can throw a deep ball as well as any quarterback in college football. So many great things to bet on in this championship game. So download the app now and use code MANIX. New customers can score 150 instantly in bonus bets for betting just 5 bucks on college football. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code MANIX. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In New York, call 877 8 hope ny or text HOPENY467369. In West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. Please play responsibly. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. On behalf of Boothill Casino Resort, Kansas, must be 21 or older in most eligible states, but age varies by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details and state-specific responsible gambling resources. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. Terms at Sportsbook.DraftKings.com slash Basketball Terms. Boxing with Chris Mannix, part of the Volume Sports Podcast Network. First podcast of 2024. Hope everyone had a great holiday week. Got some good boxing over the holiday week. Noé Inouye is now the undisputed champion at 122 pounds. Inouye knocks out Marlon Topalos in the 10th round of that fight. So you got a good fight right after Christmas. You got another good fight this weekend. Virgil Ortiz... The former welterweight contender, he is coming off a long layoff. He is going to fight Frederick Lawson on Saturday, live on DAZN. He's going to fight that fight at 154 pounds, so a lot of intrigue around the return of Virgil Ortiz. It's One of the things I love about boxing, uh, there are no seasons in boxing, so you do have some ebbs and flows, some lulls in the schedule, and if we're being honest, January, oftentimes a quiet month in boxing because guys don't want to train over the holidays. Who can blame them? But this year, you've got Virgil Ortiz in early January. You've got Jaime Munguia, John Ryder, at the end of January. Setting up to be, I think, a pretty good year on the boxing calendar. The PBC schedule starts in March on Amazon. So I think it's a lot to look forward to in boxing, and I'm definitely looking forward to all of it. Great show for you this week. Dan Rayfield, longtime boxing writer, ESPN, USA Today. He is now writing his own substack, Fight Freaks Unite, a must-subscribe for all boxing fans. Uh, He's going to join me to talk about Virgil Ortiz. Two and a half years ago, Virgil Ortiz was one of the brightest young stars in boxing. He was coming off wins over Boris Hooker, over Agus Kavalaskis. He ran into some health problems, some inactivity issues. He has fought one time since then. He is moving up in weight. He is kind of rebuilding now. So I talked to Dan about whether or not Virgil can get it all back at this new weight class. He's definitely a compelling character in boxing. Undefeated, perfect knockout streak. Can he take that power, take that skill to 154 pounds after this long layoff? So I talked to Dan about that. We get into the Ryan Garcia, Devin Haney negotiations. I talked to Dan about if Ryan should be going for a Devin Haney fight or should he be trying to prioritize making a fight happen against Roly Romero. And then we get into the PBC schedule, which we don't know yet, right? We don't know anything about the PBC schedule, which is supposed to begin in March. But you've got Javante Davis out there, presumably going to fight in the first quarter of this year. Canelo Alvarez, presumably going to fight in May of this year. And then there's the Bud crawford Errol Spence fight. Is that going to happen at all this year? Is that going to happen? Period. So Dan and I get into all the topics, uh in the news right now, in boxing. A little bit later, Virgil Ortiz himself joins the show. I've done a lot of interviews with Virgil over the years. Um, This was the most candid one that I can remember. It's obviously been a really tough time for Virgil. Personally, professionally, emotionally, financially. He, He really opened up to me about a lot of the things that were going on in his life over the last two and a half years. And you can just feel the excitement, the anticipation that he has about being back in the ring and just how much he wants to accomplish in 2024 and beyond. So stick around. It is a great conversation with Virgil Ortiz. Before I get to that, I do want to explain uh, what I posted on SI.com and what you saw on my social media with respect to my Fighters of the Year. My 2023 Male Fighter of the Year was Devin Haney. My 2023 Female Fighter of the Year was Amanda Serrano. Now, Amanda Serrano, I think, is uncontroversial. She won three times in 2023. She became the Undisputed Champion at 126 pounds in February. She defended her titles in the summer And then towards the end of the year, I believe it was November, she fought 12 three-minute rounds, which was precedent-breaking in women's boxing in a title defense uh, as well. So she had a really strong year in what was a relatively down year when it came to women's fighters of the year. So Amanda Serrano, women's fighter of the year, strong candidate, no issues there. I saw her name atop a lot of lists out there uh, of the awards, uh, winners, uh, Devin Haney. So to me, there were three candidates for male fighter of the year. They were Bud Crawford. They were Noé in a way, and they were Devin Haney on the outskirts. You had David Benavidez, really good year. Javante Davis, really good year. Bam Rodriguez, really good year. But those guys to me were second tier candidates, at least when compared to the three guys I mentioned at the top. Um, Bud Crawford had the best win by far beating Errol Spence and the way in which he beat Errol Spence. That was the most impressive performance of 2023 hands down. That was a fight that was the most anticipated fight of the year. It was the most anticipated welterweight fight since Mayweather Pacquiao. That fight was a big deal and Terrence Crawford won it going away. So he gets a lot of credit for that. My issue with Crawford is obvious. He only fought one time in 2023. So as great as that win was, I just needed one more fight out of him to put him above in a way in Haney on my fighter of the year ballot. On another year or in another year against other competitors, I might have been able to vote for Bud Crawford against you know for fighter of the year but because his competition was so fierce, that one win, even though it was a great win, just wasn't enough for me to name Bud as Fighter of the Year. Uh, in a way, was the runner-up on my ballot, and this was as close a runner-up to first place as you could possibly get. Uh, what in a way did to Stephen Fulton was the second most impressive performance of the year, right behind what Crawford did to Spence. Fulton came into that fight in the spring as the unquestioned king of 122 pounds. He was undefeated. He had some quality wins. uh, He was an excellent fighter. And in a way, just beat him up. Just beat him up. Moving up his first fight at 122, just beat him up. The end of that fight, seeing Fulton just kind of crumpled in the corner after. In a ways, shot after shot, put him down. That was impressive. That that was the second best win of 2023. Um, the Topolis win was really good and really meaningful. But going into that fight, and I said this on the podcast, you can go back and listen to previous episodes. I didn't think that much of Marlon Topolis. He was the legitimate unified champion, got that win over MJ Akhmadalyev, deserved that win. Over Jack Medalia, but I just didn't give him any chance against uh, Inaway in that fight. So great win for Inaway against Fulton. Good to decent win against Apolis, even though it had great meaning to it. What impressed me about Haney was that I thought he had two really high quality, competitive or should have been competitive wins. The Lomachenko fight in May. I know there's a lot of people out there. And I've talked to them in the aftermath of my awards posting. Who believe Lomachenko won that fight. Fine. I I don't. I'm not going to argue with you. You saw the fight one way. Three judges saw the fight another way. If you want to say the Lomachenko-Haney fight was disputed. Fine. Don't say it's controversial. When you have two judges that scored the fight. 115-113. And you, say, scored the fight 115-113 the other way. That's not a robbery. That's two great boxers putting on a masterclass that three solid judges see a particular way. Uh, Look, full transparency, I was in Vegas that night. I scored the fight for Vasily Lomachenko. But when the judges' scorecards were announced, I had no problem With Haney coming away as the winner. Because the fight was that close. The rounds were that competitive. Haney's body work was that good. His accuracy with his power shots was that good. Yes, you look at the final punch stats. Lomachenko threw like 189 more punches overall. But Haney's accuracy, his body work, I think he did enough to win seven rounds on two of those judges' scorecards. 16-12, that was a little wide. 7-5. I'm okay with that. So that was a great win for Devin Haney. And the Progray fight, look, I was on record as saying I thought Progray going into that fight was the number one guy in the junior welterweight division. It's not because the fight was on DAZN. It's not because I like Regis Progray. It's because Regis Progray was effectively a career-long junior welterweight who was a two-time junior welterweight champion. You want to argue that Teofimo Lopez is better pound for pound or Subriel Matias is better pound for pound. Okay, I can buy that. But at this weight class, Regis Progre had accomplished more than anybody else had accomplished that was still there, except for Josh Taylor. And Josh Taylor, at that time, had not looked good. Had the close win over Jack Catterall and the loss to Teofimo. So I thought Progre was number one. Devin Haney moves up in his first fight at 140. First fight and completely embarrasses Regis Progray. You know how hard it is to get all three judges to agree on a complete shutout? 120, 107, all three times? Stunning performance by by Regis Progray. So, uh, by Devin Haney, sorry. So, those two wins right there, given the caliber of opposition and how Devin just comprehensively beat Regis in that second fight. That gave him just enough of an edge over Inaway uh, on my unofficial fighter of the year uh, ballot. If you voted for Inway, no problem with that. Tremendous year. If you voted for Bud Crawford, no problem with that. Unbelievable year. I thought Brian McIntyre, Bud's trainer, was the trainer of the year. So a lot of credit going into that camp. But for me, Devin Haney, fighter of the year, 25 years old. And I think if nothing else, Devin has proven he wants all the smoke. His first real title defense after he got done with George Cambosis, he comes back and fights Lomachenko. He didn't have to fight Lomachenko. Could have fought anybody else in a title defense, a much easier title defense. His first fight at 140, he fights Regis Progray. He didn't have to fight Regis Progray. Could have fought anybody in his next fight. Devin wants the toughest fight. So it's not going to surprise me if in the first half of this year, if it's not Ryan Garcia... It's somebody else really tough. In the second half of this year, maybe it's a tough fight at 147. Devin's a guy that's proven over the last couple of years that he wants the biggest and the best fights. And that to me was one of the biggest reasons why he was my 2023 fighter of the year. All right, let's get into it. Dan Rayfield, longtime boxing writer with ESPN USA Today, now writing his own substack. He joins me next.
0: That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply.
2: Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like in the parking lot at your kid's Pee Wee Championship game. A trophy bigger than your five-year-old is blocking the rear windshield of the car in front of you. As they reverse into you, you're stuck on defense. And if you don't have the right auto insurance coverage, this crash could drain your athletic fund. So, switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability, savings vary.
5: All right, Dan Rayfield is here, longtime boxing journalist, does a terrific substack over at substack.com called Fight Freaks Unite. You can subscribe to that on all of Dan's social channels. Dan, we're going to start this show talking about a guy that I know you talked to this week. I talked to this week, uh, Virgil Ortiz, who is back after you know, close to a two year absence out of the ring. One fight, really, in the last two and a half years. That was a knockout win over Michael McKinson. And you and I are old enough to remember when Virgil Ortiz was at the top of the 147 pound prospect heap, right? Like he was right there with Boots Ennis as the next big thing. In the welterweight division, uh, health issues mainly, uh, some other issues as well have kept him out of the ring. Now he's back facing Frederick Lawson on Saturday, new weight class, 154 pounds. So I, I guess my question for you, Dan, is like when you look at where Virgil Ortiz is right now, can he get it back? Like, can he get back to where he was before all the issues came up that derailed him?
4: Oh, I, I absolutely think that he can, Chris, no question about it. And, I mean, I've been watching Virgil's entire professional career, and actually I know that he was trying to make a run at things in the welterweight division, but when I actually picked him as the prospect of the year a few years ago, that was still when he was campaigning at 140 pounds, which, of course, became more and more difficult for him to make. And uh, and, uh, and he ended up moving up to welterweight and obviously did not get the opportunity uh, to fight for a belt because of his health issues. His opponent had a health issue that caused the fight. To be postponed, and then it was obviously later canceled, talking about Amontest Stanionis which was a fight I was really pumped up for. A lot of boxing fans thought that was on paper a tremendous matchup. You asked, can he get it back? Absolutely, yes. He's only 25 years old. He hasn't taken any punishment in the ring. It's not a guy that's been knocked around or beat up. He's pretty much thrashed every opponent he's had and won convincingly by knockout. Hasn't even been extended the distance in any of these fights. And you mentioned that, you know, you talked him this week and that I had talked him this week. When I was talking to him, Uh, one of the things I was asking him, I said, you know, do you feel like it's sort of just that you haven't gotten big fights or, or, or championship opportunities, not because of your ability, but that the only thing that has stood between you and and the promised land, if you will, and the, and the big fights and the big money and, and a lot of attention or even more attention is because of yourself and your own issues, not because of an opponent that's derailed you. You haven't been in a spat with your promoter. You haven't been arrested or anything like that. That it's it's only thing standing between you and stardom in a big way is your own uh, unfortunate you know physical ailments, and you know he didn't he didn't so much answer it specifically, but he did say that he you know he, his biggest thing was activity, and uh, and he's talked about being be, he wanted to get back to when he was at his best, and he described his best. And If you take a look at his record or go on Boxrec and check it out, he was talking about the time frame from 2019, right before he moved up uh, in his first fight of that year, right before he went to welterweight. But in the welterweight that year, first of all, he fought four times, and he ran through like pretty solid guys. I think you probably broadcast some of those fights on DAZN, which was in order. Mauricio Herrera, who had never been stopped. Uh, Antonio Roscoe, who was a quality contender. And then Brad Solomon, who was still getting the job done at that time. Those were the three in the first fight, was against a, a kind of a nobody uh, opponent that was unknown. But those were pretty good wins, and he followed it up again with some other quality wins against Hooker and Kavalauskas. He was stringing together some good wins. And you mentioned two and a half years out of the ring or thereabouts. Uh, and because of his physical limitations, he says he really wants to get in three, hopefully four fights in 2024. The fact that your first fight of the year comes a couple of days into the new year should certainly make it possible. If you are healthy to, to fight at least three times, I'm sure he'd be thrilled. I'm sure golden boy would be thrilled. I'm sure the zone would be thrilled. Uh, and he's now in a new weight class. And he talked about walking around at, I you know, 170 pounds as just a normal non Uh, getting ready for a fight, Virgil Ortiz. And so making 154 is much less of a hassle and strenuous than it was to make 147, which he just obviously, for reasons that have been proven, he can no longer make. So yeah, he can get it back. It starts with Frederick Lawson. uh, And then from there, hopefully they can step him up to a a higher level of opponent. And we can see the Virgil Ortiz that looked like a superstar in the making, you know, like four years ago uh, and has done nothing wrong since, except have unfortunate physical issues.
5: Yeah, I think he can get it back, and I think he's going to be fine at 154 pounds. He's a tall kid, you know, Mm -hmm. 5'10", 5'11", so filling out that frame I don't think is going to be a big problem for him. Uh, I would like to see him spend 2024 just focused on activity. I mean, I'm sure there'll be pressure when you get to the back end of the year to see Virgil Ortiz in a meaningful fight. He's still a big name. I'm sure we'll be talking, if he's successful in, say, his first two fights of the year, about him stepping up to a championship level in one of his last two or his last fight of the year. I don't think he should be focused on that at this point. I think he should just be out there. You know, I'd almost compare it to Joseph Parker, right? Like, I know Virgil didn't lose a fight, but what Joseph Parker did prior to the Deontay Wilder fight was just stay active. He fought three or four times against mid to low level competition just to... To, to get his body right, to get his mind right, and to get himself back you know, into the position he was in to fight Deontay. Um, I'd like to see Virgil take that approach. Just focus on activity. Maybe you can face a former champion at 154. Maybe it's a Tony Harrison type that, that you fight at 154 towards the end of this year. But I, I wouldn't worry about the Tim Zoos. I wouldn't worry about the Jermell Charloms. I wouldn't worry about any of the Top tier title holder class of 154. If I'm Virgil Ortiz at the moment, I-, I do like Dan that he's back with Robert Garcia. I'm not exactly sure why those two split. I mean, it, it, part of me wonders if it was outside the ring stuff, you know, where, you know, r- we all know how it ended, where Robert Garcia was not in the corner for Virgil's fight against Agus Kavalaskis chose to work with Josh Franco that night. They were fighting on the same day in Texas. I I kind of wonder if that had something to do with it, where maybe Virgil felt slighted, and or his, his, his team felt slighted uh, about it. But either way, this is the right partnership. His best years came with Robert Garcia in his corner. You mentioned the years and the things he did when he was peaking at 140. At 147 in 2021, when he beat Maurice Hooker and... He beat Cavaloskis. Those were peak years for Virgil Ortiz where he looked like one of the next big things in the welterweight division. I don't know about you, but I always thought that Virgil, his style, Robert's training style were perfect fits for each other. I think it's going to greatly benefit him having Robert back in the corner.
4: Yeah, I I agree with that. We talked about that a little bit and, you know, they didn't break up on like, real negative circumstances. I think it was partly Robert had a lot of guys and he was devoting time to uh, Jose Ramirez and he was devoting time to some other fighters and Virgil had his place, but he might've wanted a little more one-on-one attention, whatever it was, you know,
5: fighters always want that. They always say they want that, but then, you know,
4: but the grass grass isn't always greener sometimes. (laughs) Look, there was talk about him going to Eddie Reynoso. That never happened. He ended up working with Manny Robles, who's a good trainer, also obviously. Uh, but anyway, he he just felt And more his dad comfortable. still
5: runs the show out there. His dad still True is enough. very much involved.
4: But the thing about it was, and if you know Robert, I know you do, that he's not a guy that holds a, a grudge necessarily. He wants to to be involved with the best fighters, and and uh, if he can help them, you know, do his job, obviously make a, a good living doing so. So he was welcomed back with open arms, by all accounts. Uh, Robert was happy to have him back. He's happy to be back. He says uh, it's like I never left. Uh, obviously, they have a rapport. They—I don't know if they like spent time together or communicated much over the last period of time when they weren't together. Uh, but so far, it's uh, as as he described. It's like you never left. So that's good. I mean, they have a—they know each other well. And and uh, the more important—I don't know about more important—but as important as just what Robert brings as a strategist, as a trainer, as a conditioner, all those things. The, the, the quality level of the sparring that you get in a gym that Robert has with so many quality professionals uh, is is outstanding. Now you can get great sparring in Southern California, at a lot of places, but uh, Robert Garcia's gym is one of the best from uh, what I've always been told. You mentioned earlier about spending 2024, uh, staying busy and not worrying about a title fight and a bigger name and all that. Um, I don't know what, how he sounded when you spoke to him, but when I talked to Virgil, uh, that is not his plan. He's like, you know and he used some. It was a, it was a, when I interviewed him, it was a very frustrated Virgil Ortiz, not a bad way. It wasn't like he was negative towards me or anything like that. Uh, but I'll tease the podcast that we did And he name checked my man Chris Mannix, uh, with some criticism. So folks can go listen to that on our Fight Freaks Unite uh interview. But he wants the big fight, like he understands what's going on Saturday with Lawson and maybe even after that. But he's like, I want to, I'm fighting for a title in 2024. I don't, and i you know, use the F bomb. He said, I don't give an F and uh you know he's and he even specifically said i'm not into i don't want to let fights marinate i don't care you know he wants the biggest name he's like i've waited long enough he's obviously frustrated he didn't get the opportunity against uh stanionis which would have you know if he had won that fight would have given him a belt not the top title of course but still would have been significant to his career so you know he's uh willing to wait a little bit, but he's in a hurry to get there. It's been a while. He's in, in the frustration, at least in, to my ears, and I was looking at him on a Zoom call. Definitely came through that this is a man that is extremely frustrated and I kind of feel bad for what Frederick Lawson is going to face on Saturday night.
5: Oh, I do too. Frederick Lawson's been stopped three times in his career. I think we're going to get four on Saturday. Um, I don't think there's any question about that. I, look, I, I just I, I, I get Virgil's desire to get back on top. I just think at a new weight class, you don't want to ease your way into it because you want to stay busy. But I I want to see him test himself progressively at that weight class. And I'm looking at like the 154-pound rankings. You've got Charlo at the top, and who knows when he's going to fight, you know, if at all, in 2024. You know, Tim Zhu's got a belt. The the IBF belt is vacant, but that's going to be on the line in the immediate future. But you've got some guys, Dan. You know, on this list, like a Josh Kelly might make some sense for
4: Virgil Ortiz. It's actually interesting. Yeah,
5: Yeah, he's affiliated with Matchroom. You can make that fight happen. Um, Well, Josh is actually
4: Josh is affiliated with Wasserman, but he's also on DAZN.
5: He's on DAZN. Sorry, my my fault. You're right. He he fought on DAZN recently, but that's a makeable fight, like for for Virgil Ortiz, and he's ranked, you know, by several of these sanctioning bodies. Um, You know. Man, I wouldn't put him out of the Callum Walsh. Sergey Sergey Boichuk is is going to probably going to be in line to fight for a title at some point. You know, maybe they can make the money work to do a fight against him. Like, there's just some good names out there, 154, that are not the champions at the moment. I, I would be reluctant to put Virgil in with Tim Zo right now. That's kind of where I'm, I'm pointing to. Like, if if Tim Zo's out there and like they can make a fight with him, I might hold off on that until 2025.
4: Well, you got to figure that if if that did come up as a possibility. It wouldn't be till the back end of the year anyway. Which by right. that point, there's a good likelihood if he's healthy that that Virgil would have had at least two fights in the weight class. And at that point, maybe they go for it. Uh, and you know, it's going to be interesting because uh, you know Tim Zoo has and his team have said on a number of occasions that when he had his fight recently, that that was going to be their last fight in Australia for the time being. They have every intention of of basing themselves in terms of where they box in the United States for 2024. You know, for the for the foreseeable future, sort of like what his father uh, Costa who had done where he, you know, had a, a bunch of fights and won a title and did a lot of stuff in Australia. And then eventually based himself and fought most of his big fights in the United States. Tim is looking to do the same thing. And so if that's the case, at least from a proximity point of view, you don't, there's no argument about, are we going to go to Australia? Are we going to go to the United States? You know, you can do that fight in America. Obviously there's the issue of, you know, what's Tim's schedule? What's his status with PBC as they go on their new deal with Amazon, uh, their team is saying, and I there's not been like confirmed by PBC, but it seems to me there's a pretty good, uh, I won't say necessarily likelihood, but a good possibility anyway, that when Tim Zoo makes his 2024 debut, it will be probably in one of the first couple of shows that PBC does. There are dates on hold in Las Vegas for some fights in March. So that's something to keep an eye on. my Here's the thing, though. If Virgil's fighting uh, you know, in January and Zoo is fighting in March, they're not that far separated in terms of what the calendar says. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that at least if they did want to make the fight that from a perspective of the calendar, they'd be on a similar track. Although I still would, would not hold out hope that that fight happens this year, even though it's a, uh, obviously an intriguing matchup, uh, pending what we see from Virgil in the weight class on Saturday.
5: That's like, to me, I'm more in the Josh Kelly, give me like Austin trout. If he still wants to box, uh, Michael Soro, like I got some names out there I'd, I'd be more eager to see Virgil in this year and then early 2025, then you start to make a run at world titles.
4: I, I mean, to Holy me, f- if he feels he's up for it, get him a couple of fights and then let's go for it. What are we waiting on? Yeah.
5: No, nah, no, nah, look. It's he literally said,
4: the- at least when I spoke to him, he said, I'm not into marinating. Like he's not I, well, Yeah, and
5: I, I think, well, I think what he he's, I, I, my read on what, how Virgil looked at the last couple of years is that. When fights, because some a couple of times fights got scrapped, not for his health issues. Like you know, the first time the Stanny fight was scrapped was Stanny Ones had an appendectomy. Like I think his thing was like, if a fight is not available to me, I'm not waiting for that fight. Right, right, right. Like he's like, I'm just gonna go and do another fight. Like you know, there's there's not this year. I don't think he's gonna be waiting around. It's like whatever opponent's out there, he's gonna take them on uh, to keep his career active. And I like that. I think that's the smart that way well, goes. listen,
4: part of the activity is this you have to be in agreement with your promoter and your broadcaster. And you also have to be willing to fight for amount of money that fits the budget. So, and I'm not saying that Virgil like this, but some fighters, the reason for their inactivity yeah. is because they're like, I want to fight three times. I want to fight four times. And then they go ask for like $3 million. And that's just not in the budget. Okay. If you want to really honestly stay busy, we can pay you a million and a half, but, and you can stay busy. In other words, you have to, decide which is most important is it the activity and by the way you're still making a nice say a, a payday or are you willing to fight for fewer times and take a larger paycheck for those fights when you but be less uh, active to me it seems at age 25 uh and still with room to improve and still make good money even not mega money that from virgil's point of view it'd probably be better for him to take a good paycheck stay active then and I, I think he's willing to do this, then hold out and say, I'm only fighting for X number of dollars instead. And that's sometimes what put guy, puts guys on the shelf. If you're willing to fight for what's there, you can stay active in this business.
5: Yeah, I think that's important for him one way or the other in, uh, in 2024. All right, let's talk about Ryan Garcia,
4: who uh,
5: is coming off a win in December, a comeback win in his last fight against Oscar Duarte, stops Oscar Duarte in the later rounds. In the immediate aftermath, of that fight, Dan, Ryan Garcia seemed to indicate that he wanted to fight Roley Romero. There were apparently some discussions behind the scenes. Didn't really go anywhere. Uh, Ryan pivoted to Devin Haney after Haney uh, beat Regis Progray. Then Roley came out on social media and was calling out Ryan. Ryan came back and said, it's too late. Your team dragged its feet, yada, yada, yada. So as we record this, I believe there are active negotiations for a Ryan Garcia, Devin Haney fight at some point in the first half of 2024? Of there um, are.
4: There are. No question. Yeah, questions. It,
5: yeah it, but in your mind, is that the right move for Ryan Garcia? Should he go straight into a Devin Haney fight or should he look to to try to rekindle something with Rolly Romero first?
4: I'm about big fights. I'm not a promoter. I don't have a financial stake in it. Doesn't do me any good if he fights a lesser fight. You know, if the fighter is wants it and they can make a deal, and I definitely think that boxing fans would be far more interested in seeing Ryan fight against Devin Haney than they would against Rolly Romero, who is inactive, who, if you read his social media, doesn't really seem to care about boxing these days, which is his prerogative. It doesn't make him a bad guy or anything. Uh, he's lucky to have the belt that he won against Barroso, his original opponent who had the title. Uh, for his own, re- you know, his own fault, dropped out Al- P- uh, Alberto Pueyo because he failed the drug test. Uh, and then, you know, he got in the eyes of many in a, let's be honest, a putrid, putrid, putrid fight against Ishmael Barroso. But one that Barroso kind of got, a, 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 you know, a bad call in because of the very unusual stoppage that was made by, you know, typically outstanding referee Tony Weeks. That was a just an abomination of a stoppage. I think you called that fight maybe, or it was on the zone anyway. No, showtime. Uh, that
5: was a showtime fight. Yes. Oh, show.
4: Yeah. You're right. My bad. My bad. Uh, ninth round knockout. That just was unfortunate. And you know, Raleigh is not in typically really good fights in my opinion. I mean, he, he talks a good game as his, his pre-fight buildups are good, but the bouts themselves are usually not very impressive. So to me, anyway, a Haney fight is a bigger fight. It's a huge, it's a huge opportunity to win a real title. Uh, I think it's a fight that would be. Um, I don't think it does. It's not going to do the level of, let's say, pay per view business as as Ryan did with Javante Davis, obviously. But I think it's got a chance to do some business. So you know, if if the, all things equal, you know, you go for the Haney fight. And by the way, I know if if he loses to Haney, you're going to get a lot less grief than if you lose to Romero, who maybe people would view as a more winnable fight. But Romero is capable of of, uh, of you know, with coming up with a good punch also. So, uh, to me, I'm about big fights. Give me the Haney fight seven days a week.
5: Yeah, exactly the way. The other,
4: and, there, and there definitely are discussions because both sides have said so. You know, yeah. Oscar has said so. I know they're having the conversation with with uh, Eddie, uh, you know, between Golden Boy and, and Matchroom. I don't think Matchroom is, like, the official promoter of Devin, but they've been, you know, they're working together sort of the way uh, that, they, have, that, they have some rights the yeah. fight they, with Foxinello. Yeah, uh,
5: yeah they, they've got some – however their deal was structured before the pro-gray fight, they've got some kind of, you know, matching rights first of all, whatever it is that with, with Devin Haney. I, I think one of the problems with you know ultimately finalizing a Haney Garcia fight is that both these guys are probably going to want big guarantees. And I I don't know I, I don't know if they're gonna be able to get to that number where it's agreeable for both guys to agree to the fight. But Dan, I I want to see the Romero fight first. Because for a couple reasons that. Like, I don't
4: understand. I mean, All right, let me let me let me lay out my case. Ryan, Ryan and Haney, they got a history. They fought six okay. times at amateurs. They want okay, to fight each
5: other. They do, but that's not a fight that right now I believe Ryan can win. I think Devin
4: are you a Ryan's promoter?
5: But no, I don't I don't think he can win it. But like I, I don't I think well, why do Ryan you care? can my point? because I want to see a competitive fight. And I think Ryan can get to a point where it's more winnable for him. Look. Ryan is coming off his first fight with Derek James as his trainer. It wasn't even a fight that was contested at the 140 pound limit. Uh, it was a fight that at times Ryan looked good, especially at the end. At times he looked really bad, especially in the middle when he was doing that shoulder roll defense that nobody could quite figure out, you know, why he was he was doing that. So I, I was like, yeah, I, I, see it's on camera doing the shoulder. Roll. Uh, the, <laughs> I just think Ryan would benefit from one more fight. And I think a Romero fight would be ideal for him. Yes. It comes with some risk because Roley can crack, but Roley also puts himself in position to get knocked out badly. Like Roly leaps in, leans in. There's, a better than I'm trying I don't know what the percentage but there's a decent chance Dan that we see a Francisco Fonseca type knockout from Ryan Garcia yes. in a Roy yes. Romero fight which would give him a legitimate title, I think it was Roley, whether he deserved it or not has a legitimate belt at 140 and it would give him a little bit more momentum going into the Haney fight. Dan, I think you'd agree if Ryan knocks out Roy and how the build-up for a fight like that would be, that would make the fight against Haney even bigger. So for I those reasons, for those reasons, I'd like to see Ryan, if a deal can be made to fight or Romero, which I don't know. Like, I agree with that. Like, Roly changes his mind every couple of weeks whether he wants to fight. He does these strange interviews on YouTube where he, he talks about some crazy things. Um, he still has to deal with his own mandatory issues, although I will say this. If Roly wanted to fight ryan garcia there is no way the wba standing in the way of that because the w Gilberto mendoza was in the ring for ryan garcia's win over duarte and put a belt around his waist now what belt that was i don't know because it was a catchweight so was he the catchweight champion of the world it's actually
4: interesting you say that because i had questions about that myself and asked golden boy and they didn't want to acknowledge publicly that it was a fight that was (laughs) over 140 pounds so it was the wba's i want to tell you uh intercontinental welterweight title but they didn't want to deal with the yeah. rushback by calling it a welterweight fight saying ryan was moving up just because they fought at like what 142 oh, pounds. we called it a
5: welterweight fight because it wasn't welterweight. it was a welterweight fight like, exactly yeah it's
4: but the, the thing about it but, is you mentioned about the the mandatory we'll see what happens because on saturday on the virgil card you have the the uh it's was it the uh interim Cara title? Davies
5: Barroso interim title, yeah. Correct.
4: So Davies has been the long-standing mandatory for that belt once the Romero and uh, Barroso and uh Pueo situation was handled. And uh we'll see. I mean, the winner of that fight is supposed to be the next shot against Roly. Davies is on record of saying, you know, a thousand times over and over that uh, you know, he wants that fight, he's been waiting a long time for it. Money talks, and we'll see what happens. WBA I mean, is never
5: going to order it. W, of all the sanctioning bodies that would, the WBA is not getting in the way of of Ryan and Roly They're not doing it. Like probably you, you know that right. you know they're not doing
4: it. Well, I mean, you're probably right, but I, I'd have to wait to see how they react. I know from my own uh, conversations with the WBA that they want to see the that situation get handled. Uh, but Roly is that's the other thing about Romero, by the way. If Haney and 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 Ryan go towards making their fight you're talking about a time frame that would probably put them in like around April ish. Yeah. Romero has been sidelined because of this disc injury in his back, where at least according to the original report that went to the WBA, when they uh, checked his medicals and allowed him to be sidelined, not strip him and, and, and make this Barroso versus O'Hara Davies fight for the interim title in that medical paperwork, which I read and actually have a copy of, they were saying that, that the, uh, Roller Romero's doctors were saying he shouldn't be back, you know, into any kind of significant training and fighting until at least April anyway. So, mm. I'm not sure if he's going to be medically ready to fight, let's say he wanted to make the fight against Ryan. Is he going to be ready to fight in April anyway? So, you know, we can talk about the the possibilities, but it's uh it's not necessarily based on the actual schedule of when these you know, human beings are prepared and able to go into the boxing ring. So if Ryan is presented with a case where you can fight Devin Haney, like, you know, sometime in March, uh, or are going to wait till fight Raleigh? Like in May, I don't think he's going to wait around. I think he's going to go for the bigger fight right off the bat.
5: I even think though, I-, I don't know that a Haney fight could get made by March at this point. I-, I don't, I just don't think they're close, you know, close enough to to close a deal and do a well, fight. Well, because you in know, March. in
4: boxing negotiations, you can be as wide as the Grand Canyon, and everything comes together and in the end. As long as once they yeah. get over like whatever there's one hurdle, I've seen a thousand times fights where they're termed as being we're not close, and suddenly put it like this: you're not close until you're close. In other words, right. there could be a huge gap, and suddenly, like a domino, things start to happen. And and I actually look at the fight between uh, Ryan and, and Haney as well, you know, I say this relatively speaking. It's not that complicated. Like there's not gonna be arguments about who comes into the ring first? Who gets introduced? Clearly, Devin Haney is in a position where he's the established champion, and he may not be as popular as Ryan, but he's got enough going for him where he's not, you know. And I think Ryan's the type of guy where he's even said, "I don't care about that stuff." Like let him, you know, he's the champion, fine. Let him walk when he wants. Let him be. Ryan's got him. a history.
5: Ryan, Ryan's got a history of doing things to get a fight done. Like sure, what Ryan now, did to make the Tank Davis fight happen. It doesn't get done unless he's willing to do certain things.
4: And by the way, Devin Haney has shown this similar kind of mentality because of what he did when he... He had the WBC title. He didn't have to, you know, do everything the way that George Cambosa's wanted, even though George had more of the belts. But uh, he raised his hand when Loma fell out of that fight back uh, at the time they were supposed to have the match, and he made the deal. And so so Haney and Ryan are both, at least in today's game, of star-level fighters. They're the type of guys that don't let that shit stand in their way. Like, Mm -hmm. they'll do what it takes to make fights. And I think uh, the fact how much they say they want to fight each other, and as I mentioned before, they know each other so well, six amateur fights, they really want to get it on as pros. And when you are in that situation, and I've watched this occur for as long as I've been writing about boxing, when the two fighters want to fight, there's very little that can usually stand in their way. If they really want to make a deal, they're going to make a deal. And I don't know, listen, I, I hear all what you're saying about the roly fight, but if you went and asked any boxing fan out there, would you rather see Roley against Ryan or would you rather see Haney against Ryan? I have to believe that the vast, vast majority are gonna say, give me the Haney fight.
5: I would agree. Um, I just think a Haney fight becomes more winnable if Ryan has one more fight under his belt with Derek James in his corner. So we can see a more polished version. I,
4: I can't, I can't disagree with that, but what I can say is that ain't my problem.
5: <laughs> that's 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 true. My so you want haney and garcia i would like to see ryan roley in like april and maybe early may Devin haney like liam paro in that type of fight and then they both go in july Par- why
4: who cares about that just a fight? fight for him
5: a fight he's undefeated he's coming off a win over montana love like give him a fight like you, listen you, not you're terrible. my man you,
4: you're my man i love you i'm a friend <laughs> of the pod but i am over making the, when the fight's hot, make the fight. I've seen too many. I'm, we just watched Wilder <laughs> and Joshua go up in flames because of all this same kind of nonsense. So no, oh. no, no, no. No, Roley, no. Let, let Roly <laughs> fight Paro, you know, and then do something there. I'm done with that shit. Give me the big fights when you can make them. And both of these athletes have a desire to fight each other now. I'm not standing in their way. Go make the fight. Whatever happens, happens. And by the way, whoever loses, I don't I don't I don't take anything away from them because they were willing to step up and fight the best guys and not not mess around. You know, I look at I think about when uh when Oscar De La Jolla, who was Ryan's promoter, was at his best, you know, he took some losses, but he always fought the best guys. He became a superstar and was a legend and had a lot of great fights. Ryan may not be at that level of talent, but he's got that mentality of I'll fight whoever. And I appreciate that as a fan. And if he takes a loss, so be it.
5: All right. Well, we'll punctuate that conversation right, right there. Um, I do want to talk about PBC's calendar because we are getting into uh, the first quarter of 2024. We know PBC is going to start its contract with Amazon in March of this year. No announcements as of yet as to who will be the first show, uh, that what the, what the first show will be that PBC does. You kind of alluded to some dates being on hold in Vegas uh, for PBC any ideas yet? Let's just start here. Any ideas yet about what their calendar could look like in the first half of this year?
4: Uh, yeah, I mean, certainly they're going to have, I think, at least two events in the month of March. I believe one of them will be a non-pay-per-view fight, probably to kick things off, I guess. It, it wouldn't really make a lot of sense to me anyway, uh, if your first event was a pay-per-view. That, that sort of seems sort of weird to me. So I do think, and, and and combining this with the comments that have come from Team Tim Zoo, it, it strikes me that that there's a, at least a reasonable chance that out of the gate, Tim Zoo in Las Vegas in March, defending the uh, you know his junior middleweight title, uh, you know I don't know who the opponent would be, but that type of fight, not not a pay per view. And remember that it does go on pay per view in Australia, so from a uh, financial point of view, uh, they're still be able to generate money. So it, it seems that would seem sort of like a logical thing. And then maybe at the end of the month. Uh, doing a pay-per-view, or even you know, not at the end of the month necessarily, but a week or two after that of doing it. Now, again, I mentioned on the on one of the recent Nevada Commission agendas, they actually had three dates on hold in March. All of them specified being either at the T-Mobile Arena or at the MGM brand. Uh, and so, I think that would be a possibility. And who that's going to be? Could it be the the next fight of Tank Davis? Potentially, there's been a lot of conjecture that he's going to have a rematch. Uh, you know, with Pitbull Cruz potentially. So that's maybe a possibility. They have a few fights that have been kicking around that that were heavily discussed but did not come to fruition at the end of last year. One of them was a, uh, for example, a uh, what was it? A, it was a Keith Thurman against Danny Onis fight. I know they want to get Danny Onis back in the ring. He has not fought because of the it's issues for a long with Virgil. Yeah,
3: yeah. So a long time. they
4: want to get him back in. I've talked to his manager, Shelly Finkel. They're very anxious. I they believe they're going to be you know right out of the gate quickly. Maybe they'll be in that first uh, March fight if it's not Zoo. Uh, maybe it'll be a doubleheader if they want to kick it off with a bang. Who knows? Um, so, But it could be that. You also have a fight between, again, I don't know if they're still trying to make this match, but there was a lot of conversation about doing Arislandi Lara defending the WBA middleweight belt against Danny Garcia. Uh, that may be a possibility. But I think you're looking at those types of fights to kick off things. If you All you have to do if you want to figure out who's sort of next up is go back and look at the order in which they fought in 2023. Now, it doesn't always follow the exact same trend but guys are in a certain spot where they're sort of next up in the rotation. I'll give you another one who I'm pretty confident is going to wind up in one of the first couple of shows, first few shows because of his own act- inactivity. He was another guy that kind of got caught in a number squeeze at the end of last year and couldn't get one of those last spots. And that's Carlos Adamas, for example, uh, you know, who has, a, who has a, a belt or at least a, what is was an interim belt. Um, and so I know they'd like to get him back in the ring. He's been waiting because of uh, the inactivity. Well, you know, he's been mandatory for, the middleweight, Charlo, and we'll see if, you know, he can, he's probably not fighting Charlo, but he's going to have to fight at some point. So we'll see. I mean, I think that's a, that, that'd be a good guy to get back out there pretty quickly because he has been inactive, again, not for his own faults, wasn't injured, you know, wasn't in jail, uh, you know, wasn't unwilling to fight. It just didn't work out. So those, those are the types of fights early on, I think that you're looking at. And then of course, with, you know, the undercards that go along with it with some of the guys mm-hmm. that maybe aren't in the main event level, but some of the younger guys are the the up and coming contenders that they work with. They've got so many good fighters. And I know the one thing that's been, uh, a negative is just the level of inactivity. And it's important for, you know, if you want to be a star, how can you become a star if you don't fight and put yourself in front of an audience? And, and that's not just a PBC issue. A lot of promoters have that problem, but, uh, they seem to be the ones that have the the worst of it, and I'm a little concerned as we go into the the startup of this agreement. And it was kind of in the small print; it was kind of like throwaway in their announcement or when the people were speaking about it. And that's not necessarily from the press release, but like when I'm sure you talked to some of these folks on background as they say uh, this deal with with uh, with Prime Video. They're looking at about 12 to 14 events for the year, but that's including the pay per views. Which, if you take into account the number of events that Showtime did with PBC in 2023, plus the pay-per-views, I think they did six pay-per-views, and that's something like 16 shows or 15 shows. So the number of events is going to be quite a bit less. And so that that is cause for concern if you have as big of a stable. So it says to me, and I kind of heard rumblings about this, that Al Heyman, who's obviously the big boss man of PBC – has been out there pounding the pavement looking for a second broadcast deal remember when he the has. pbc deal was announced with amazon nowhere in there did they talk about exclusivity if you read the things about top rank and espn it was exclusive you know you know there's lots of uh, exclusivity in these different things uh matchroom is exclusive with the zone as they announced etc uh in the amazon pbc deal nothing was mentioned about exclusivity so i know al has a has an absolute right to go and shop his wares to some other outfit if they're interested. And I've heard some rumblings of other possibilities. We'll see if they come to fruition. One thing I do know, Chris, and you know this too, they need more dates, end of story, for the amount of uh, top boxers that they are involved with.
5: Yeah, And I've said this before on the show, the outlet to watch for PBC is Max, because Max is interested in live sports. Max is not going to do anything until it figures out how much money it's going to spend on the NBA, but that deal will be figured out at the latest next summer. So, if Max isn't spending the kind of money it thought it might have to spend, there could be some money left over in the boxing in the budget to do boxing, and we could see, ironically, you know, boxing back in the you know Warner's family, uh, not the, uh, in the same the, way HBO, HBO yes. was. Yeah, not. I don't think that's. I don't think that's that's happening, but um you know Well being- anybody
4: that's been around long enough knows that the way that PBC and and HBO ended was very, very uh yes. negative. But yes. this is a while the PBC team totally is the same, the HBO executive suite is totally different now. Yeah,
5: yeah, totally different, totally entirely. By the way, just moments ago, you talked about the WBA maybe doing the right thing on the junior uh welterweight title. Just remember that when Landy Lara defends against Danny Garcia who has never fought at middleweight <laughs> just remember that when you talk I mean, about doing the right thing
4: there's different they're uh doing the right thing there I guess there are shades of doing the right thing uh <laughs> I try to listen I have because I have a nice I, I have a good relation with Gilberto and we talk all the time about these types of issues I I I while I'm happy to call him out, and anybody that's ever followed me, read me, heard me, whatever knows I do not ever uh, hold back, and he knows that too. So I, 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 you know, we have had those conversations, not always in a good way, but uh, I, I like him, and I, I try to, you know, I don't say lay a guilt trip on him or anything like that, but like say, dude, why not just do the right thing? Like it's not that hard. So I, 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 I maintain. Uh, a little bit of uh, of hope. I'll put it like that.
5: Yeah. Who, who's the guy for, I'm blanking on his name, but who's next in line for that WBA middleweight title shot? Um,
4: I've not looked at their ratings, see, the middleweight for a bit. Uh, so Australia, I'm not really sure. I
5: forget what I, I, I'm blank. I apologize for blanking. On,
4: the, the middleweight on division names. though, at least in the WBA. Well, most of the middleweight division is pretty decrepit at the moment. It uh, is. Yeah. I mean, Laura is a guy who has been a tremendous fighter. He was in a fight of the year a few years ago on Showtime against Jared Hurd in a junior middleweight fight. He was a great amateur fighter. But over the last several years, he has literally, since the Hurd fight, or maybe besides the Hurd fight, he's just fought terrible, very ridiculously bad opposition uh, commensurate for for being a championship-level fighter. He's fought, like, what, once a year, if that. It's It's like he just holds this middleweight belt hostage that he acquired only when Golovkin retired or right. gave it up, I don't know, I can't say he retired because he never announced it, uh, and it's disappointing, and hopefully, I'll put it like this, I'd much rather see Arisani Lara fight Danny Garcia than just not fight at all. Right. Now,
5: I, the guy I was thinking of was uh, uh, Michael Zarafa, who is next in that's line. That's the mandatory, for, yeah. Yeah, that world title. Th- that I mean, that's the fight that should take place. I know it's not the most lucrative fight, but if you're going by the rankings, that's the fight that should take place next. I know Zarafa's been lobbying for it. Like sure it's hard to get that fight to happen. So
4: if I'm not if mistaken, that's, just, that's an yeah. Zarafa's on a I mean, he's on a pretty decent winning streak, if I'm not mistaken.
5: He's won four in a row, but he hasn't fought since the end of 2022 because he's been waiting for this right. exact opportunity. His belt has been held hostage. I might be uh, a little biased because my,
4: my last memory of Zarafa in terms of seeing him alive was watching him laid out, I believe, that junior middleweight on a PBC card a few years ago. Like badly knocked uh, out the first round. Peter
5: Quillen knocked yeah, him out. Exactly. Yes, first was, round, correct? That was a long time ago. That was fifth round, eight years ago. At this point. nine years ago almost at this point.
4: That um, was like one wanna... of the early PBC cards when he when, when Heyman bought time on all the channels. And uh it was as brutal a mismatch as you could imagine.
5: Yeah. I want to drill down on a couple of things related to the PBC calendar. One, uh everybody's kind of wondering if we're going to get Terrence Crawford, Errol Spence, the rematch. Um uh, Officially, what we've heard is that Spence has exercised his, uh, his rematch clause, but we have not heard specifics about what weight that fight might be contested at. We have not heard anything about a date. I- I've talked to a few people around Spence, and the sense I get, Dan, is that Spence is not going to be ready to fight anytime soon. Spence is not... You know, you, you if you you can't announce the fight tomorrow and expect, expect Spence to be ready to go in like March one of those early PBC dates. So, what do you think the odds are that we get Terrence Crawford, Errol Spence, part two?
4: It's a really good question. I've kind of been perplexed on this one for a while. I mean, when it was first made when they fought the first time in the you know this past summer, uh, by all accounts, there nobody disputed that there was a rematch clause. Both fighters acknowledged it leading up to the fight. There was never an issue about that. Uh, there was public announcement, or 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 not not even a denial, even a, a mild denial that the exercising had occurred for the rematch, and it was explained to me by multiple sources that okay, that the exercising that he had he had elected to do the rematch, and that it was supposed to take place by the end of two thousand and twenty three. And now, no matter what your contracts say, if two sides agree to amend it, they can do so. So it struck me that okay, they they exercised the right to do the rematch, but both sides were fine with not doing it at the end of the year. It, it wouldn't have made sense. There was really not any space in the calendar uh, on a pay-per-view level. It was after a, a successful pay-per-view; they could not possibly have done something similar uh, in that time frame for the second fight. So I think everybody was fine with putting it off till sometime in the early part of this year. Now the question: Now, okay, then Showtime's contract and uh, you know their 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 sports department was closed, so PBC was now had to put everything on hold because not just Spence and Crawford, but their whole. Uh, whole stable of fighters because they were going towards this new deal they have with Amazon. And by the way, if you look at some of the smaller club shows around the country that have been going on the past, you know, a couple of months, not the big names on PBC's roster, but they've had some of their younger fighters that they farmed out to just get them active and make sure they fight. You had, you know, uh, Kavalowskis who just fought, he's a PBC fighter, fought on a card in Southern California recently. You had uh, Vito Milnicki Jr. who just was on a card, uh, non-televised in Newark, New Jersey. And there was a, a couple other guys on that show that were from the PBC group. So they're keeping them busy. So the point is Spence and Crawford is only one of those issues. Um, it strikes me that, that Spence has said, uh, as, as loud as you could say, it, I'm not fighting at welterweight. He's not going to try to make that weight again. That was, I think probably one of the reasons that he looked so bad in the fight the first time around, because the weight finally had gotten to him. So that that seems to make an indication that if they do fight again, it would have to be a junior middleweight, which I believe that Terrence Crawford would be the one to be able to say so. Uh, if he says welterweight, then Errol may be forced to pass on it. I'm not convinced. Well, it's one thing to exercise the rematch right, fine. But there's a difference between saying yes and actually getting into the ring. Like, what's the old saying? There's a, a big gap between the lip and the cup. I mean, you know, who the heck knows if they actually will fight. And frankly, listen, I'm a big Errol Spence fan. I have all the respect for what he's done in his career. He's a great guy. Nothing bad to say about Errol Spence at all. Just a gentleman, and I, I like him as a fighter. I like him as a person. He doesn't need that fight. I'll say the same thing I said after Canelo talked about wanting to fight Dimitri Bivol again, using the, the line from the from the great movie Rocky 2 We don't need that man in our life. That's what he was, you know. What uh, Apollo Creed's manager was saying, or his trainer was saying to uh, him when he was trying to get the Rocky rematch. You know, he's all wrong for us, baby. Like Errol Spence does not need. Another helping of Terrence Crawford in his life. Uh, anybody knows it will watched that fight understands that, especially knowing the 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 beast that that Terrence Crawford can be when he when he wants to be. So I don't know if it's going to happen. And by the way, do you think, Chris? You tell me. You know the business uh, very well. Is there going to be any public demand? They did like six hundred fifty plus thousand pay per view guys. Everybody made a good amount of money. It was a great great event, and I'm glad that the fight finally happened. But I have never heard a single person since that fight finished. Oh, I got to see that rematch. Oh, not at all. Nobody cares no, because, about
5: that. Match. Because most people <clears throat> believe, probably correctly, that even if, if the fight took place at 154, the exact same things happens. They, you know, people just believe that Crawford, at this stage, is on a different level. And I, and I buy that.
4: If Arrow came back and fought somebody, yeah. Zarafa, whoever, pick a guy like you were taught, Tony Harrison, somebody that was a good fighter at junior middleweight, if not at the Crawford level, obviously nobody really is. He's pound for pound number one in my book. But if he came to 154 and put a nice win in his in his uh you know in his winning record, maybe then you might get some believers. Oh, he looked good at that weight, he looked strong, maybe it'll be different. But if the only evidence you have to go on is a man moving up in weight. Against the same guy that destroyed him, also moving up in weight, who's spending eighty dollars on that to see it again? The most ardent diehards may do so, fair enough, but it won't be close to the six fifty they did. And I can't imagine be a that fraction, either are looking think. to make less money on the next fight.
5: No, I think it'd be a fraction of of what of the number that bought it the first time. I think it's a really and low
4: number. That's the aggravating thing about it. Also, is while this whole thing is being held up. Uh, and there's not clarity on when that fight's happening. If it's happening, what weight is happening at you have Terrence Crawford. As I mentioned, my opinion, the number one fighter in boxing pound for pound. I'm certainly not alone uh, in that assessment. He's holding up the titles. Mm -hmm. I mean, they already, the IBF already, you know, he's already been stripped of the IBF title uh, has now gone to, to Boots Ennis who was the interim champion. But at some point there's other guys knocking on the door. You cannot hold up a division over a business deal for an unending period of time. You know, yeah. I get, you know, when you get, the, that's one of the things about boxing is everybody wants to see the undisputed takes a long time. They finally slog through it. They get to this summit meeting, the fight happens. It ends. There's a winner. It gets his hand raised with all the belts. And then the organizations start coming with mandatories. That winner now is going to, you know, take a little break is assessing the, the appetite for whatever massive fight they can make and things slow down meanwhile all the other contenders knock on the door there's no activity in the division the titles are are not being uh vied for and so that's the that's the downside of the glory of the undisputed
5: look the exact same thing is going to happen in february with the winner of tyson fury alexander usyk where the ibf will probably strip the winner right away if they don't go on to face philip hergovich
4: oh, 100% that's probably not that you do. can you can write that down. I mean, they've already mandated months and months at a time. The winner of that fight must next face Philip Hergovich. They will, and I'm not even exaggerating the timing. That fight between Fury and Usyk will end on whatever time of day it ends. Like literally, maybe they won't do it on Sunday because they're they're <laughs> taking a rest on the weekend. But I can assure you that probably that Monday, Tuesday at the latest, that letter will go out to the winner and to the number one contender. To begin negotiations for that fight now. They don't expect the fight to happen, you know. You know, in a few weeks, obviously the winner is going to have some uh, a respite of time to, to to chill out. I guess. But go back. I mean, all you got to do is just look at past history. On the day that 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 Tyson Fury defeated Vladimir Klitschko and won his belts, I can still remember like where I was, like because I was like with my wife and my kid and was doing something, and ended up coming home to write the story. They literally sent out the order. For Fury to fight, I believe it was uh uh Zar Glaskov in an yes. IBF title. Tsar Glaskov, right. yes. Long now, live also, Zar
5: Glaskov, main event star heavyweight.
4: Well blew out his knee, unfortunately. Yes. So he only ended up having Charles Fury. Martin got that belt, right? Yes, sir, on a knee injury.
5: And then AJ got it off Charles Martin. That was a lottery ticket that Tsar Glasgow lost out on.
4: Sure was. So what I'm saying to you is that this is not like it's the first time this has ever happened. Quite literally. Tyson, you could double-check this. I want to tell you, when he defeated Vladimir Klitschko to become the heavyweight champion, uh, I believe he held the IBF belt for about 10 days before he... I can't remember if he officially vacated or he was stripped, but the point was, that order came out immediately, and the first belt that went away was the IBF, and then, of course, the other belts went later because of his own substance abuse issues and mental health problems. But the IBF, you know, they don't wait around. I mean, they're going to order... Uh, the winner to fight Hergovich immediately. And that's why there's a very strong possibility that come March, which will be like a month after that fight takes place, there's a very good chance we may see uh, Anthony Joshua against Hergovich for the vacant title. I kind of respect
5: the IBF <clears throat> for that in a way because, you know, there was a lot of bellyaching after they stripped Terrence Crawford as quickly as they did. But Look where we are now. Crawford had no intention of defending that title against Boots Ennis or anybody until the Errol Spence dust was settled. And we're no closer to seeing you know things figured out between Bud and Errol Spence. I, I, I'm kind of cool with that. Like let's keep the trains moving here. Let's keep get things that. moving.
4: The one mistake that the IBF made in that case, and I think Daryl Peoples, who's the president of the IBF, who I rather like and is a, is a good boxing guy, I think he acknowledged has acknowledged this in some interviews. The, the mistake that they made in the welterweight situation was allowing Ennis to fight for the interim title in the first place when typically, and this has been proven out for decades, that in the IBF the interim title, generally speaking, has only been used in the case of an injury, like a bona fide injury that's going to keep a champion on the shelf for a while. And they pretty much went against the rules and allowed Ennis to fight for the interim yeah. title before. And if it would have been okay if they had said, okay, if Crawford is not going to fight for a while, they, they could either, you know, strip him then and then have Boots fight the fight that he had it got in the interim title uh, and it'd just be for the actual title. The other thing, and the, the IBF sometimes does things that are counterproductive to everybody, including themselves. So while I do respect that they follow their rules <laughs> to a degree, there are certain things that make no sense. And you were just there in Saudi Arabia for the that nonsense. Made that made no ever, sense. With uh, Jai Opataya being stripped to force him to have a mandatory against an injured challenger <laughs> who was okay with them being uh put on the, on, you know, waiting for the fight. And by the way, both the Opatia camp and the Bradis camp uh, agreeing to sign a document or do whatever and, and stipulate that we will fight in like by March or, or whatever on the next, Saudi, you know, one of the next Saudi cards in the fight they want. So meanwhile, they strip him. They don't get a sanction fee, and, and Bradis is now ordered to be the number one contender to fight whoever, and he's still on the shelf and not fighting for a period of time. So it, that one made no sense to me in terms of the IBF. doesn't make them bad guys. It just makes them uh, weird to me. That was trying to unpack the
5: thinking of the IBF there was I I remember being in Arizona and Eddie Hearn, who represents Jayapataya, was meeting with Daryl and he he was just beyond frustrated because as you laid out there, like everyone was on the same page, like he'd fight Breedis in March or April, whenever the next available Saudi date was. This was a stay busy fight. Nobody had a problem with it. And they just go and strip him of that title anyway, which and now, if I'm Jai Apatai, I don't want any part of that title, like at least not for a while. Like I'd, I mean, I'd he rather... said
4: that he would like to have it back. So, I mean, honestly, it's, I don't know, it would be shocking. Well, I guess the IBF rules would not permit Jai to fight for the vacant title because if you're, I think he'd be dropped out of their top 10 or oh, top so five or whatever annoying. for <laughs> six months. I mean, it's just, yeah. Listen, I, I totally get the need for rules, obviously. And too many sanctioning bodies have run roughshod over rules for as long as I've ever watched boxing. But I thought sometimes common sense might prevail because my my the biggest thing to me is, and I've said this to Daryl, I'm not like speaking like behind his back. We've actually had this conversation on more than one occasion. I have read the IBF rules on a multitude of occasions. Their rules more favor the mandatory than they favor the champion. So mm-hmm. while yes, you should protect the uh, the the rights of your number one contender. I don't think it should be more so than protecting the rights of the champion, at the least make them a little bit more even. And their rules are written in a manner that they seem to protect the rights of the mandatory more than the champion. And in this particular case, the mandatory didn't need protection because he was okay with it. So my point of view was simply if nobody is agreed and then like the number three, the number two guy who's also going to have to wait around, he wasn't going to get a fight any quicker either because even if he's ordered to fight for the vacant title, Bradis is still on the shelf for a period of time. So that fight would not have happened until March at the earliest. So the whole thing just made no sense.
5: You got to love boxing. You got to love boxing. You got to uh, love it. Two,
4: two, two names
5: I want to run through before I let you go. One, Canelo Alvarez, who still has two fights left on his PBC deal. Dan, I don't think Canelo makes any decisions until we see what happens with Jaime Munguia and John Ryder at the end of this month, I think there is genuine interest on the part of Canelo to face Munguia in May of this year. Now, that's a complicated deal to make because, you know, Munguia is affiliated with DAZN. Uh I don't have any knowledge of the, the, the details of, of whatever contract he may or may not have, but. If I'm disowned, I'm not letting Munguia just go and fight Canelo after investing God knows how much money in Munguia over the last five years to fight lesser uh, lesser fights. But I think he's going to wait and see what happens with Munguia. And if Munguia beats Ryder, especially if he does in a convincing way, I think they're going to try to make that fight down. I don't know if they're going to be able to do it, but I think that Jaime Munguia is... I don't I, I. don't know if I can say he's at the top of the list, but he's certainly right there in the top two of guys that Canelo wants to face.
4: Well, first of all, just if, if he does decide to wait to see the, what the result is between Mungi and Ryder, it's not like he's waiting a long time. The fight's in three weeks. Right. So, you know, I don't think there was any hurt. I mean, of course, if he's going to fight in May, you know, by the time you get to the end of January, you want to at least if you're doing a pay-per-view type of event, you want to at least have some of your your ducks in a row, so to speak. But uh, to wait to January 27th uh, to see what happens with Ryder and, and Munguia is not in any way uh, a problem, it seems to me. So that would be I'd be perfectly happy with that fight. I mean, obviously the fight I want to see is David Benavides for sure. But it, it it seems to me, and I've said this before, I I give Canelo the benefit of the doubt because his track record has shown that he will fight the guys that the fans want to see. He's done that repeatedly for every time many, many, many years now he doesn't necessarily fight that fighter at the exact moment where we all say fight him you know did he fight triple g the first time a little bit past when it was at it's a fever pitch maybe a little bit seven eight nine months past when maybe we wanted it. but in the long run that doesn't mean anything they were still at the top of their game and he was still uh you know at, in great form that night and a lot of people the thought first he two were some, still incredible fights know? absolutely so he's he did that uh and I believe that you know the, there's been, been demand for the Benavides fight. I do think that that fight that he will ultimately take the fight. But if you again, we just talked about the Fury IBF situation. If you go back and pay attention to what's happened in the past, it will help guide you in the future. And what what and it's not just a Canelo thing. If you take a look at the history in boxing, at least in let's say, uh, I'll say in my time of, of covering it since uh, you know 2000, so the last you know almost 25 years. This has been a pattern that has repeated itself a million times. When a fighter gets to the end of a contract, be it a promotional agreement, a broadcast agreement, what have you, that's typically when the biggest fight gets done because they've taken care of everything else. And there's one last, you know, uh, big push and the promoter and, or the broadcaster, you know, really want to get the payoff fight. So it would not in any way surprise me if he did go with a Mungia fight next. And save Benavides for what would be, I guess, the last fight of his PBC contract. Do Mangia in May on the Mexican Cinco de Mayo holiday should be plenty of time for Mangia post rider to be back in the ring. And then you Benavides would get in one fight, presumably, uh, you know, the first half of this year, and set up Canelo versus Benavides for the Mexican Independence uh, weekend. You know, comes September of two thousand twenty-four. You know, nine months from now, I think that's not unreasonable. I think that is okay. Yes. We'd like to see Benavides next. I'm fairly convinced that's not happening for a multitude of reasons, but if that means the year we get from Canelo is Munguia in May and David Benavides in September, can't beat that schedule. Mark me down for that one. And by the way, if Canelo were to run the, to run the table on those two guys, you're looking probably at the 2024 fighter of the year.
5: I agree. I agree. Um, you know, we, we just talk about the IBF. I know I know you know the answer to this question, but do you think that people know who the IBF mandatory is for Canelo's titles?
4: Uh, that's a good question because I'd actually have to think about it for a quick minute.
5: Oh, I know. Oh, I, I can give it to you. It's William Skull.
4: Yes, that's correct. The, the great, IBF.
5: The great yes. William Skull, who if you put him in front of me with one other person next to him, I wouldn't know who he was. I'll honestly. put it to you like
4: this, Chris. Now, you know you know what an absolute degenerate I am when it comes to watching boxing, right? I think you know that all, after all these yes. years. I watch wacky streams. I get DVDs. <laughs> I, I watch like deep undercards, whatever. I don't know if I I know who William Skull is and I'm familiar with his record. I've seen him in terms of in the rankings and looked him up on BoxRec in the past. I can't say I've ever actually seen one of his fights, which is kind of rare for a top-ranked contender for me not to have seen.
5: Dan this it, like his here's how you describe William Skull, right? He is Cuban born, lives in Argentina, and since 2019 has fought exclusively out of Germany. So he is a man of the world, but not someone that's like ever Lennox fought Lewis. anyone.
4: Like Lennox Lewis a man of the world. <laughs> yeah, I, wouldn't, in, I wouldn't diminish Lennox by saying born, that. In, born in Jamaica, uh box for Canada in the Olympics. Fought in the the UK and then came to America.
5: At a slightly (laughs) higher level. But, Dan, William Skulls. I'm joking. (laughs) William Skulls last two fights, in 2022, he won an eight-round unanimous decision against Abel Adriel, who was 26-25-3. In 2023, his only fight was in October. He beat Christian Rios, who was 23-18-3, in a six-round unanimous decision. How... Next time you talk to Daryl, Dan, you ask Daryl to explain exactly how William Skull managed to become the manager. Now, I know along the way, he picked up some of these, you know, IBF secondary titles, international super middle, IBF Latino super middle. So that's the answer to the question. But how does beating Dragon Lipai and Daneb Diaz get you to the IBF number one position over other challengers for that belt? I just would love to hear the explanation for that.
4: You just answered it. They, they they fight for the regional titles that push them up the rankings. They don't rank the other, uh, you know, a lot of times they don't rank fighters that don't fight for those belts or for guys who become mandatories or fight for other organizational regional belts, et cetera. Uh, I mean, so yeah, I, I, I don't think there has been, a, I've not yet heard any kind of push for an IBF mandatory for Canelo. You know, he at least he made his WBO mandatory last year. That was the rider fight. So he doesn't have to worry about that. Uh, You know, Mauricio Suleiman from the WBC has stated uh, on a multitude of occasions, not going to force Canelo into a mandatory at this point, you know, which is fine. You know, I've always maintained for a long, long time. This is not like uh, suddenly my new take on things. Mandatories are good because they give opportunities to fighters that otherwise would be avoided uh, and can't get the shot, but have put the work in and done the. And, you know, I always think of like uh, the Hall of Famer Winky Wright. He was exactly the kind of fighter the mandatories were made for. guy was really, really good, but had didn't bring a lot to the table financially, uh, and just could not get a big fight. And so he, you know, you have to get him to a mandatory position to to get in that to get that spot. And there's other fighters that are sort of like that. Uh, you know, Jeron Ennis was a guy like that. You know, he the top guys weren't going to fight him because he was really good, and at that point he wasn't a big attraction. And so you had to get in a position where they were, you know, either giving up belts or forced to fight you. Uh, but I also, on the flip side of that. To me, if a, if a boxer is active and there's no obvious guy that should be the, ni- the next guy to fight for the title, I don't understand why they have to jam these mandatories down uh, the fighter's throat on, on such a, a regimented basis. So, you know, I'm glad to see sometimes people let a little breather take place. Uh, you know, we'll see what happens. But in terms of Canelo's schedule, he, Canelo has also shown in the past that if the, if the organization gets in his way of what he wants to do, He'll just give drop up the title, belt. get it in the middleweight yeah. belt, you add it to a drop them anyway. Double- like
5: what's the point of giving up a million dollars for these titles? Like get you've, you've you've achieved it. Like just drop them all. Let's let them all fight for something. Well,
4: listen, I'm I'm not I'm not a guy that says the titles don't mean anything. I mean
5: For Canelo to me it's, they all, don't.
4: it's all about a happy medium. He wants to have titles. And if you're if you've made hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars to pay out, you know, a very small percentage relative to your earnings. To maintain the belts i don't have a problem with that now does he need to maintain all four he's proven his point like you I'll said one yeah even keep two or three but you don't necessarily need all four i mean if, if you if the ibf forces him to fight william skull for example i'm pretty sure canelo is gonna say thank you ibf but here's your belt <laughs> no no, problem.
5: no he's gonna say to to al Heyman, like all right this is the fight i want to take the second fight of my contract pay me the same amount of money <laughs> this is that is his abdi Yildirim fight that's what it is william skull so, is your version of, of abdi Yildirim."
4: When you're an active fighter like Canelo, and in that time frame when he fought Yeldrum, he was fighting four times in 11 months. Yeah, and as part of the deal to get the opportunity to fight for the vacant WBC title along with the WBA belt, and he fought Callum Smith, the back end of that was, you know, what I'm gonna have four fights over the next year, so I'm gonna slip in an easy quote unquote easy fight, and that was the mandatory against Yeldrum. So, I don't think boxing fans care. If they're if the fighters are active, if they if they're if you're going to fight four times and you want to take one softer fight in that sure. period of time, who's going to fight William no. Skull in December?
5: <laughs> he can defend but he's only going to probably fight
4: two times this year.
5: But if he does three, I'm saying like, let's say, for example, let's say he comes you know out what? of a, a Benavidez fight unscathed for whatever reason, he wants to fight a third time that and get a big fat payday. William Skull will be a nice, big, fat payday. If that's just like what, Avni
4: Yildirim was. If that came up, I actually wouldn't have a problem with that.
5: Oh, neither would I. I would have a problem with the IBF making William Skull the mandatory challenge. That's a different
4: story. By the
5: but, way, Dan, uh, I, and again, I know you know this, but like the for, if you're a fighter that's in great shape, the IBF is the best set of rankings to be in. Guys do not want to fight for IBF titles because the IBF has that second day weigh in where you have to weigh within 10 pounds. Richardson Hitchens is a great example, he is the highest rated contender for the IBF's 140-pound title, which is currently owned by Subriel Matias. Hitchens doesn't seem to want any part of that fight. And I don't think it's because he is afraid of Matias or he thinks he's going to lose. It's that he doesn't like that extra second-day weigh-in. When Hitchens fights for an IBF belt, I I think I'm right on this. Like, he also has another regional belt on the line because... When the IBF and again, I know you know this. When the IBF combines titles, you don't have to do that second day weigh-in. So, if you're a fighter that wants to zip up the rankings and you're not afraid of that second day weigh-in, IBF's your place, baby. Go, go get in those IBF rankings.
4: I mean, look, that's one of the. I think that's one of the holdups right now, where the IBF has ordered a 140 eliminator fight for the final eliminator between Richardson Hitchens and Jack Catterall. Uh, typically, when promoters uh, when uh, when the boxes are promoted by the same promoter, it's not that usually that hard to make to make the fight. It's not a common thing for a fight that's ordered where both fighters are from the same promoter to have a purse bid scheduled. <laughs> the IBF scheduled a purse bid for Hitchens versus Caterell because Matram has not been able to close the deal with the fighters. I think part of it is the reluctance on Hitchens' team's part to do a second day weight check, which you know. That's their he's way that. too
5: young for that to be a big issue. Like if you're not, if you don't feel comfortable, move up and wait, man. Like, y- y- well, I think, I think they feel comfortable
4: making the weight on the Friday, but not necessarily doing. Yeah. The but onset.
5: like if, if you think you're going to be rehydrating like Devin Haney-esque, like you'll never see Devin Haney fight for a, a straight IBF title ever. But if you're not, if, you, if you're Richard Hitchens, if you've got a chance to fight for a world title, you, you can't pass it up because you're afraid of that second day weight. You're too young for that. Like you should be able to make that weight. That's my opinion. I don't
4: disagree with that. All right, you know? l- let me
5: let me finish with this, Dan. Tank Davis, you mentioned, you know, Esau Cruz is currently the front runner, it seems like, to face Davis. Davis is, not that it matters, but he is now the full WBA title holder at 135 after Devin Haney vacated his belt. Esau Cruz is right there behind him in that number one position. Um, do you get the sense that's going to be the next fight? And on a broader scale, like, are we going to see Tank in a quote-unquote big fight in
4: 2024? Well, I sure hope we'll see him in a big fight in 2024. Uh, look, I, I mean, the, the, Pitbull cruise rematch has sort of been kind of hanging over a lot of things. A lot of people have just sort of thought that was going to be the case. Uh, you know, one of the reasons why Pitbull uh, was, was placed on, on the, on the recent PBC card to sort of get him ready for that fight. Uh, I forget which card it was, but he had a, a fight on one of the uh, pay-per-view undercards that was uh, towards the end of the year. But I really don't have an idea of the specifics of who will fight. Now, To me, the biggest fights for Tank Davis will be in the junior welterweight division, not in the lightweight division. Now, he still has the belt in the 135-pound weight class, but to me, the biggest fights that he can make are against opponents that have left the weight class. That's, uh, you know, Devin Haney, obviously, now is at 140, and that all... I mean, he already fought Ryan Garcia, so I don't think there's any demand for a rematch there, but you're also talking about, you know, other fighters that are in a higher weight class. I mean, who's at 135 now at this point that would be the logical... I guess the logical guy for him to face. I mean, Haney's the big one. I mean,
5: Shakur is the only guy you can pick up, but he's not
4: going to do that. Yeah, I don't. I don't see that happening. I didn't even mention him because it's just such an outlandish fight yeah. in terms of
5: which is crazy, since that's like business. an elite fight to make.
4: Oh, I, don't get me wrong. I wouldn't mind seeing that for sure. I mean, that's that's a that's two of the best of what they do, no doubt about it. Um, but look, Tank, Tank Davis and his team have always beat to their own drummer. They're not forced to do anything by people. They they want to fight. You know, they're more concerned and I'm not, this is not a negative. This is just, then they're entitled to this viewpoint. They very clearly are more interested in the money over a belt. Uh, to me, it's always sort of like they work together. You get the belt. And yeah, I don't think they're
5: in. mutually exclusive personally. Yeah, but,
4: exactly. Yeah. Like they, they can both be, there's not, not, it's not one's right. And one's wrong. Um, but, but tank has uh, grown a huge fan base who doesn't seem to care who he fights specifically and and that's his thing. He can go especially and fight the
5: ones over. buying tickets. I, I don't know, maybe not so much on pay per view. I, I kind of wonder what these pay per view numbers really are, uh, but the the gates speak for themselves. The gates are real. Uh, he's doing big, like five million dollar gates in New York and and across the country.
4: Chris, he did a fight in the in the and, and I was at this fight in uh, Washington D.C. because I, I live like right by that arena, pretty much in Capital One Arena in Washington D.C. When he fought against uh, Hector Luis Garcia, this was his January fight of one year ago this month before he fought the Tank Davis fight. I mean, uh, the Ryan Garcia fight, rather. That's a building that's around 20 years old. They did the biggest gate in the history of that building. Um, The the, the previous record had been around a little over $5 million from a Rolling Stones concert. He beat that record. This is not a boxing record. This is a record period. They have big concerts. This is where Mike Tyson had his last fight of his career against Kevin McBride back in the day. So for him to fight a non-marquee fight, against Hector Luis Garcia, a guy that was a good fighter but nobody knew who he was, uh, to do that kind of money, uh, that's that's very impressive. So yes, the gates are legit. Obviously they did a huge amount of money, uh, you know, in terms of the fight with uh with Ryan Garcia, you know, biggest at least in this side of the world anyway, biggest pay per view, biggest biggest commercial event, let's call it, uh, you know, in the sport in two thousand twenty three. So they're not looking to go backwards. I mean, I also the other fight that, that would be a big fight that I didn't mention for uh, for Tank, which, again, I don't see it happening, but this would be a marquee fight, would be him and Teofimo Lopez. He's the other yeah. you know, big name in that weight class. He's the 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 lineal champion. He's the WBO champion. He's coming off a beautiful performance against Josh Taylor, uh, where he won that fight. I mean, so there there are those, those types of guys. Now, within the PBC universe, there's Sabriel Matias. I don't think he's looking to do that because, again, I'm not going to tell you Tank is afraid to fight anybody, but Sabriel Matias has to do a little bit to raise sort of his profile. I wonder too,
5: Dan, how long Matias is going to be in that PBC universe. Like he's out there talking to people, whether it's top rank or match room, like he's out there in conversations with other promoters, mostly the ones that have the champions at 140 pounds. So, you know, that, that might be off the table in terms of an internal fight to make, which then, you know, where are you looking? I mean, look, the Isak Cruz fight, whatever. I personally think that the only people that want to see that fight are Isak Cruz, his family, and Sean Gibbons. (laughs) But, like, it, it, uh, the the second half of the year is where I think tech needs to do something, right? Like, let's say, yeah. let's say, Devin Gar- Devin Haney and Ryan Garcia fight in April or May. Let's say Devin wins convincingly. I mean, that, then the Devin fight becomes that much bigger. Let's say Teofimo and Subriel Matias fight in June on that Puerto Rican day weekend in New York, which I think is something that's been discussed internally at Top Rank. Um, that If Teofimo wins that fight, that's a massive fight. These are just big, big fights that can be made that makes everybody a boatload of money, both at the gate and the pay-per-view. Tank Dave is going to be 30 years old in November. Like He's got to decide at some point if he wants to be in these high-profile, high-risk, but high-reward types of fights. I think, Dan, multiple of them will be presented to him in the second half of this year. He just has to say yes to them. And then look, Shakur, Shakur, if he beats Lomachenko, like if that, yeah, I don't know when that fight would take place, probably the fall, but like that's if Lomachenko beats Cambosis, of course, but that's a, a big fight at 135 if he wants to stay there.
4: Yeah. I mean, listen, the bottom line is, and this is not just about Tank Davis, it's all these guys. You have as a pro boxer at the highest level, a very limited amount of time to make the biggest fights. And I am of the strong belief that you don't go wasting those opportunities right now. Tank is at his, you know, he's at his, he's in his prime. He's at a high level of earning power, a high level of 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 a stardom. And you know, if you look again, we're gonna talk about history. I say this all I don't sound I don't wanna sound like a like a broken record here. If you look at the history of boxing, if you are a top fighter and you fight top fights and you lose, it does not mean you cannot go on and still make huge amounts of money. You I mean, Tommy Hearns got knocked out by Ray Leonard and went on and had a huge career and made huge amounts of money, including in a rematch with Ray down the road. When Oscar de La Hoya who was the face of boxing for a period of time when he lost, you know, he had gotten knocked out by Bernard Hopkins when he came back and fought Ricardo Mayorga, you know, what a little over a year later, I guess, or maybe 16 months later, whatever it was. And he won that fight to win a title at junior middleweight. There was, he was never more popular at that moment when he scored that big knockout and went on and made crazy money, even beyond that with Mayweather and lots of other big names. And we can sit here and cite chapter verse When Manny Pacquiao got knocked out face first, by Juan Manuel Marquez, and a lot of people thought he would never step in a boxing ring again. It wasn't that long after that hellacious, as brutal of a knockout as I've ever seen ever in the history of boxing, going back to watching, you know, black and white grainy footage of fights. After that, he made nine figures to fight Floyd Mayweather Jr. So I don't want to hear about oh, if I lose, I have to protect my record, and I'm done. Tank Davis has a fan base. I strongly believe that if he fights the right fights, even if he suffers a defeat, he's still going to make a huge amount of money, and those fans are not going to desert him because they are interested in him, uh, in his punching power, in, in uh, you know his his charisma, or whatever you, however you want to describe it. So, short shelf life opportunity. Make the fight. History shows that you can rebound from those fights. Freaking Muhammad Ali lost the fight, came back. I mean, pick pick any other than Floyd who retired undefeated. You know, which is a rare thing. Every superstar fighter suffered a loss. Many of them came back. Most of them probably were able to come back and have huge fights. But to me, what stands out in the more modern times are what Oscar did after losses, what Pacquiao did after losses. Look what Mike Tyson did after losses. He got knocked out by Buster Douglas. He had his biggest fights ever after that against Evander Holyfield, against Lennox Lewis at the end of his career, made crazy money for these fights. So, You know, I'm tired of hearing fighters in general talk about, it's only about how much I can make on pay-per-view, you know, and that's why they may look to avoid the biggest fights. If you make the biggest fights, if you happen to lose, your career is not over. If you give the fans what they want and you put in the proper effort.
5: Yeah. I'm not going to
4: step off my soapbox.
5: I could not agree more. And I think you and I would both agree that in, in some of these big fights that we talked about, it's not like we're making Tank Davis some kind of big underdog. No, if he's an underdog at all, like he is in these fights, he is the pound for pound best counterpuncher in boxing in terms of power. I think pound for pound, he has got some pop on those counter punches. So oh, if
4: you if you I, match him up with with uh, with Teofimo Lopez, if you match him up with Haney, if you match him up with Matias, I mean, uh, if you, you guys know, I get hit.
5: Teofimo gets hit. Haney gets hit. You know, these like, are these, these guys are not, can get hit. Like,
4: these these are fights where he's going to have a lot of people picking him to win is the point. Agreed. And he'll be the favorite in some of those fights for sure. Yeah,
5: it's uh I hope we get to see at least one of them before the end of this year. Well Dan, I had this podcast budgeted for like 30 minutes. We went well over an hour, so I appreciate it. Uh my friend, check out Dan's Substack, Fight Freaks Unite, one of the best boxing reads you can find on the internet. Subscribe to that Substack on Dan's social media channels. Dan, always appreciate it, man. Good to catch up.
4: You bet Chris, a pleasure. I will talk to you soon, my man.
5: And when we come back, My conversation with Virgil Ortiz. All right, Virgil Ortiz is the undefeated 154-pound contender. On Saturday, he will make his anticipated return when he takes on Frederick Lawson. He will also be Virgil's debut at junior middleweight. You can watch that fight live on The Zone. Virgil, I I have to imagine that given how much inactivity you've had to experience over the last couple of years, you've got to just be dying to get back into the ring right now
1: yeah i i literally am dying to get back into that (laughs) ring you know it's it's been too long you know last fight was a was against McKinson in in uh 2022 i believe and it's just been way too long you know it's it's been it's been a roller coaster of emotions and you know they're all bad not 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 good and bad and good it's more like bad and worse and all what confusion going you know it's it's just it sucks but you know we're we're a few days away i'm i'm feeling great and uh i'm just i'm ready to fight
5: what was the toughest part of the last two
1: years uh if i'm being honest you know wondering if i'm if i gonna have to sell my house or not that i had just bought Wow. If I'm being honest. It was,
5: it got to that point
1: with you. Yeah. I hadn't fought in a few years, we had made some investments on another house that we were going to build a gym that we already had a uh, money put down on that. We were probably going to lose as well. If, if nothing was going to go right, I'm telling you, like we were, we were right there, you know, mm-hmm. We, we were right there, you know, not to put my business, my financial business out there. I don't know. I'm feeling sorry for me or nothing or, or he's broke or, you know, but like, you know, it, it was serious. Like I might, I might, have to sell my house and move back to, to where I grew up at or, or what, like, are my dreams over? Like, is this it? Like, so, you know, it, it got to that point and, uh, you know, we, Long story short, we're here, and um, no, we're we're not done yet.
5: What was the turning point for you? When did you feel like things were turning around?
1: Um, I guess it's the way I feel right now. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's uh, this is a different feeling. This is a a familiar feeling of how I felt back then when I was at at my best. You know, and uh, I feel, bro, I'm standing during this interview right now. Like, come on, I have a <laughs> lot of energy. I, I'm like. <laughs> three days away from weighing in and I, I have a lot of energy. I feel good. I'm talking, I'm I'm talking to you smiling right now. I'm not smiling in, in my other interviews in, in my past weight cuts. You know, I feel good. Like I'm, I'm very excited about this fight. I feel good uh, emotionally, physically all that. So I'm just, I'm ready to go.
5: So let's talk about kind of how you felt before the last schedule one and clear a couple things up for me, because last summer you're set to take on Amatis Stanionis, big fight secondary title on the line had been postponed a couple of times because of health issues on both sides but it was finally set days before the fight you were forced to pull out now there's a lot of been been a lot of talk about why you were forced to pull out clear up exactly what happened there
1: so for the last fight you know it, it it was a simple case of dehydration and heat exhaustion you know uh you know that that can happen to fighters you know it's it's I don't wanna say it's normal, it happens all the time, but if if it were to happen, it's just like, oh, okay, well, we've we've heard of that before. You know what I mean? So let let's say hypothetically that had happened and I didn't have this Rabdbill thing. Well, it wouldn't have been that big of a deal. Like, oh well the truth of the matter is that it was an isolated event. It had nothing to do with rabbit When I when I went to the hospital, um they ran blood tests on me. I didn't have Rhapdough. So I, I it wasn't it wasn't that, you know, a lot of you know uh Twitter doctors say that oh he had rabble again or you know his team doesn't know what they're doing man they don't know what they're talking about they're not in my camps you know and you got people spreading rumors that that's not even true you got people talking about stuff that they don't know about so it's just uh you know I, I'm I'm in a position where I can talk about this stuff now and so people can hear me I'm about to fight so you know I'm just ask all the questions I want to answer.
5: Well, you, you obviously heard a lot of that stuff about the Rabdo. You said that had obviously nothing to do with it. it. It obviously, though, your decision to move up in weight, you were going to fight that fight against Danny Onis at 147. Did what happened during that fight week influence your decision to move up?
1: I think that what what happened during that fight week was scary enough for me to be like, okay, now we can't do this again. You know, it's, uh, it, it's more than the fight week, dude. Like... I hadn't, I hadn't, before the Mackenzie fight, I fought me Machine. So that was, that's a year earlier, right? Then another year uh, to when I was supposed to fight again. So it, it it was just a lot of inactivity and just, just nothing consistent. Nothing was consistent. And I don't know. That, that's why I was saying, like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to wait for nobody no more. Like if I'm going to fight on this state, this state, this state, and this state, if you're not ready, we're, we're gonna fight someone else like i'm not i'm not gonna i'm not on your time i'm on my time like when when i'm 50 and we're, when we're on 50 or whatever I'm, you're not gonna think about me i'm not thinking about you i'm just thinking about my family and and me taking care of them and i'm gonna be able to take care of them with the money i'm gonna make fighting you know but to take care of them i have to fight you know so i'm gonna fight with you or i'm gonna fight someone else you know so you know at this point i just i don't care i just want to do my job i just want to fight you know i want i want the fans to be excited about me fighting again i want them i want them to buy a ticket and not get scared that i'm not gonna be able to pull through again because a lot of inconsistencies that have been happening you know it, it, it gets to you you know i think about that a lot you know i think about that at this at, at this fight right now like <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna have to do uh i'm gonna have to have the best performance of my life for people to 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 have confidence in me again and to want to buy tickets, not be scared of anything happening like that again. To be able to make the trip to Vegas or to California or to San Antonio, fucking Mars. I don't care. You know, I I want them to have that confidence in me again. And we're we're gonna do it. We're we're gonna get there.
5: And and how like Sergio and I have talked about this a lot when it comes to you. Like in summer of twenty twenty one you were right there at the top after the Cavaloskis win. We're talking about you same way. We're talking about Bootsenis, you know, talking about you fighting Terrence Crawford. Like what has it felt like to kind of fall out of that mix over the last couple of years?
1: Oh, mentally it sucks, you know, because I was, like you said, I was at the top. I had all the momentum. Uh People were talking about me finding, finding, you know, Crawford or Spence or, or whoever had the titles at the time. Shit. I thought I was in the fight packet at one time. I was like, damn, like, You know, I had the gold and he had the the super WBA. And I was just like, damn, that's actually a possibility, you know. And (laughs) if that were to happen, you know, in a heartbeat, I would have taken it. You know, it would have been an honor to be in with a legend like him. But, uh, you know, I just want to get there again, you know. And just I understand why my name isn't in people's mouths like that anymore. I understand it. I, I can Take my point of view and look at it from their point of view. I'm not narrow minded like that. But looking at it from my point of view, I'm just like, fuck, I'm still the same guy. I just, I've I've been really unlucky. So we're, um, all we can do is just not wait for nobody no more. We just stay consistent and do what we've been doing this whole time. Like in 2019, when I was prospect of the year, I fought four times that year. I want to do Mm -hmm. that again. I want to fight. I want to fight a minimum of three times. I want to fight at at the most. I want to fight four times this year. You know, I'm fighting in January. We have all year to do that. Mm
5: -hmm. It's so important, isn't it? Like activity. I mean, a lesson you probably obviously learned, you know, over these last couple. I mean, we were just in Saudi Arabia and, and I was watching Joseph Parker beat Deontay Wilder. And there are lots of reasons that happened but I think one of them is that Joseph Parker was fighting for the fourth time that year and he was sharp, but he was good. And he was, mm-hmm. he was ready. Whereas Deontay Wilde been fought one round in two something years. So you're a hundred percent right. Activity is, is, is really important. Your, your path back to this point, Virgil is, is brought you back to Robert Garcia. I know you've talked about this a lot in the last couple of weeks, but tell me what brought you back there. What, what made this reunion happen?
1: You know, so we just, uh, after the last camp, we were just like, man, like, you know, we were just thinking about it. And, you know, ultimately I was just like, we, we, we need to go back to where I was the best at, you know? And, uh, you know, of course nothing against, you know, my, my past camp, because they're great people, you know, and, and they were moving mountains for me for sure. Um, uh, we just feel like we just need to go back to where I was having the most success and, and just, just flat out, where I was a monster, and you know, we went back and with Robert, and uh, I feel good, dude. I feel good.
5: the The decision to leave him at the time, how much of that had to do with non boxing reasons than actual boxing reasons?
1: Uh, I mean, really, I mean, it's a lot. Of, a lot of it was I wasn't getting the sparring. Mm-hmm. that that you would expect from from their camp you know a lot of them didn't want to spar a lot of the fighters that were there at the time didn't want to spar me and uh that's that's how you get better you know so it's just like but we're, we're having to call people in for sparring you know we're, we're sparring other people and then they didn't want to spar anymore you mm-hmm. know, see how it gets frustrating i don't know i don't know because i was i was that much like i i don't want to hype myself up i so i don't i don't even like saying this but was i doing that good people weren't wanting to spar me no more and even from people from other camps that like we were paying them they didn't want to spar no more or what i i don't know but it, it, it just it, that was that was like the main problem so you,
5: you were know? saying yeah yeah so you're saying now now you're fighting in january you want to be active um what does that look like to you? It begins with Frederick Lawson on Saturday. What do, in an ideal world? What does your 2024 look like?
1: Shit. <laughs> hopefully, <laughs> hopefully with the with, with the belt around my waist and defending it at least once. You know. Mm-hmm. You know. I, that's that's my ideal 2024 right there.
5: Have you felt that you've had a chance to to train at 154? How do you feel like your power is gonna carry? How do you feel all your skills are gonna carry this weight?
1: I feel like it's I feel like I'm gonna feel good. You know, uh, we're going up in in glove ounces, I believe, to ten ounces. I, I feel like to me personally, I feel like I hit harder with heavier gloves because I, I have more confidence that my hands aren't gonna break on me. Because a lot mm. of the times I don't I honestly feel I'm lying. I can already see the Instagram, uh, X, Twitter, whatever you want to call it now. I can already see the two already But I I never really threw as hard as I could because of fearing of my hands breaking, because my hands have broken many times before. In the Tony Roscoe fight, I broke both of my hands in that same night. You know, as and out, you know, that was a crazy fight. Uh but I'm gonna have a lot more confidence in my you know just in the gloves just in the gloves itself i don't know it's weird it's only two ounces but two ounces matter there's a reason why they added it
5: well if that's the case that is probably going to be good for you because you've got a perfect oh, yeah. knockout rate ratio uh as it is uh virgil man great to have you back man looking forward to hopefully hopefully is a big year for you in 2024 thanks for joining me man
1: hey thanks for having me nice talking
5: That's it for this week's episode. My thanks to Dan Rayfield and Virgil Ortiz for joining the show. As always, subscribe, rate, review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you download podcasts. And I'll see you next week.
3: Thank you so much. I go sleep. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury.